Hello, how are you doing? I'm Craig Parkinson. You are listening to the Two Shot Podcast. Sit yourself down, pop the kettle on. We're going to have a nice old chat. Who's it with this week? I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> How the devil are you? It's Thursday. It's the podcast. What are you up to? You at the gym? Just go faster. Train harder. What else are you up to? Sat down. Good. You've cleaned the house. You've done the hoovering. It's your time. It's time for the podcast. Um, I'm just sat here in uh, Maison Berteau, a lovely little Greek street. Uh, and it's a deli. It's not It's uh, not a delicate. Uh, my brain's all over the shop. Basically, it's the cake shop in Greek Street where we always record when we're in London. And uh, we've just um, recorded three fantastic episodes on the bounce, all wildly different, but equally brilliant. I can't wait for you to listen to them. You can see I'm tired. You can hear I'm tired in my voice. Um, what I've got to tell you, before we get onto the episode, right. So have you had an email yet from the BFI? If you've got tickets for April 14th at the BFI, the Radio Times BFI Festival with Richard E. Grant, nonetheless, I got an email a couple of days ago going, Craig, you've totally sold out in the NFT3, which apparently is the smaller room. We want to move you to the NFT1, which is the big 450-seater. So we've done that. I went, right, okay. So they've moved us because we've sold out. They've also moved our time to 6 o'clock instead of 7 o'clock. So uh, this was completely out of our hands. Uh, they wanted to do it. Um, so it means more of you can come. So I hope that's all right. And I hope, really hope you can make it because I think it's going to be a really cracking night. Um, I've just put out today on uh, Twitter, um, if you've got any questions, get your questions into us at... Um, at Two Shot Pod or on the Instagram or Facebook and I'll see what I can do about asking Richard and I'll pick only the very best ones. I've already had some very comical ones. Great. I won't be asking them. Now, speaking of guests, the majority of the time, people I approach to come on, we've never met, but I've got a feeling that they would be great on the podcast and nine times out of ten they are. No, what am I talking about? Ten times ten they are. I'm always happy with the guests. They're brilliant. And I want the conversation uh, to be fresh for me and fresh for you and that works, doesn't it? Well, it seems to. Sometimes I have people on that, that I know but we've never really sat down for like an hour, an hour and a half or however long it is and really focus the conversation on them. And sometimes, very rarely... People say, Craig, do you know who you should have on? Or Griff, you know who we should have on? And we get them on, and it seems to work. What never happens is fate. And episode 81 with Amy Booth Steele is fate. I was on Twitter, and a video popped up that somebody had retweeted. And I looked, and they said, oh, this is hilarious. They said something, I can't remember. Anyway, I clicked on the video... And it was Amy Booth Steele, a lovely girl with a ukulele, and she started singing. And that's where it started. And I listened and saw a few of her videos and her songs. So I approached her and asked if she'd come on. And she said yes. And this is episode 81. And this is the fantastic 
Amy Booth Steele. Please enjoy, and I'll see you at the end. It's funny when I'm looking for different people to come on. Um, sometimes it's people I know, and the majority of the time it's people I don't. Um, but I was looking on social media a few months ago, and uh, somebody caught my eye, and I thought she was very funny, so I got in touch and asked if she'd come on. And this is one of the first things I heard. Thank you. Four years ago, I sat in a doctor's office and he said to me, Amy, you got cancer. I said, I'm sorry, you're what? You're going to have to go back on that. He said, I'm sorry, you got stage three cancer. And that was the moment I first met the people in my head. Those quirky people, people in my head. Came out of nowhere, people in my head. Started moving in, people in my head. I definitely didn't invite them in then. I got my treatment and I was all fine. And within about six months, I was back to full physical health. But something about my mental health state had changed. And I started acting strange because the people in my head were getting louder. People in my head started kicking off. People in my head, like a fight at the end of a family party. People in my head. And I was like, can you keep the noise down in there? So I spent the next two years thinking I was a bit weird and I didn't really want to tell anyone because I was embarrassed and ashamed. I was like, you haven't got fucking cancer anymore, so what's your fucking problem? Do some yoga, have some paracetamol and have an early night. So I kept it all cooped up inside and I didn't really know what was happening until I was in Tesco on fruit and veg all one day when I had a breakdown. True story. So eventually I got in touch with the right people and this lady was amazing. She was like, why don't you come in and talk about the people in your head? And I was like, what the people in my head? And she's like, yeah, the people in your head. Mm. And I was like, mm, the people in my head. She's like, well, why don't we meet them? And they were like, hi, I'm vulnerability and I just want to be loved. Hi, I'm OCD and why are the trainers not in a line? Hello, I'm stressed and I'm just really fucking stressed. I'm hormonal changes. Hi, I'm FOMO. Hi, I'm anxiety. I'm really hot. I'm going to die. Hi, I'm depression and sometimes I just want to die. Hello, I'm insomnia. I haven't slept for 75 years. Hi, I'm paranoid and I'm still thinking about the way I said hello to someone on the tube about six weeks ago. And why are those trainers not in a line? I'm so tired. She was like, Amy, I'm so glad you've come in. you got PTSD with anxiety and a spot of depression. And I was like, what? She was like, this can happen to anyone at any point in their lives. And that's why we have to open up. And suddenly the people in my head started making sense. People in my head even started moving out. People in my head. I mean, don't get me wrong. It took about a year. There were people in my head. They finally fucked off out my head. Now, sometimes they like to pop round from time to time. We have a coffee and a custard cream. But then I'm like, I can't buy. That's it. That's it. <laughs> I'm just going to give massive round of applause, as I'm sure you all are, wherever you're listening to that. I need to introduce you to Amy Booth-Steele. How are you? Hello, my love. I'm good, thank you. Now, the response to that online has been amazing, hasn't it's it? It's been absolutely bonkers. Like, I was completely overwhelmed. Um, I never really put it on or set out for it to sort of do anything as such. But you were doing it for yourself? Yeah, it was just like anything. something I was like, I was kind of always wanted to write and I didn't really know how to what my sort of avenue should be and then I just I'd learned the ukulele last year as like um a sort of therapeutic thing I was told to like maybe learn a skill or like do crafting (laughs) (laughs) so it's like and my mum bought me a ukulele so I started to learn it and I was like oh maybe I should just sort of put the two things together and it just literally happened like so organically 
It's obviously something that you needed to do. Yeah, it's it's completely changed my life almost because it's... In what way? It's a way of like, I've expressed something that's been hiding inside me for years now. And I was like terrified of letting people know that side of me. And it was, I just felt it was time to just let that go. Almost like a diary. Yeah, it was just like a way of just being like, this is me now. This is the next phase of my life. These are all the shit things that have happened to me. Um, Just get it all out there and hopefully just like move on and so before we go back we'll jump around in this of course but i do can we just talk about the context Mm. of that song yeah so basically how how did you first realize i don't want to use the that you found out there was something wrong with you but i don't really want to i don't mean it like that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i can't really express it yeah i was doing a show at the national and i started to get really ill but to a point where it was like really ill you know when you're like oh I've got a cold I'm feeling mm. a bit under the weather but I was like I physically couldn't get out of bed I was really like lethargic and I had no energy I couldn't do the shows which is like quite you know unlike me and I'd always just go into work and stuff but I was like I literally can't fucking get out of bed and then that sort of went on for about six months because there was no way of knowing until it was till I'd found a lump you know and then six months later I um I collapsed and then went to the doctors and was like, oh, I feel a bit weird and this thing's been going on. And he was like, oh, what's that on your back? And then I just had this massive tumour that had been growing away. Yeah, and I'd obviously missed it because it's on your back. You didn't see your own back. So, yeah, and then that was it. Within a week, I was straight into treatment and found out I had stage three cancer and it was all in my lymph nodes and stuff. So it was like, oh, fuck, I was 31, I think. Jesus. And um, so, yeah, I just literally had to give up everything. I, I wasn't working at the time anyway when I started to have treatment. So, and obviously as a freelancer, I was like, I couldn't work. So I was going through all this treatment, fucking broke, didn't know if I could audition for anything because I didn't know if I was going to survive. <laughs> like it was... Oh, and what, it was so much to take yeah, on. Your mind must have just exploded. Mental, yeah. So I moved, I had quite a lot of surgeries and then I moved back home to Birmingham with my mum and dad for a bit just to kind just to of... to recover. Yeah, and get away from everything and have a bit of a some downtime. But I I didn't deal I never ever thought of it was gonna be um have mental effects on me. I always thought of the physical side of it. Mm. And I always thought, Oh god, you know, my body's different now and I work differently. But I never considered it would affect me mentally because I'd never come across anything like that before. And then literally it was like the day I finished all my surgeries and stuff and they were like, and now it's all gone and you're okay to go back in the world. That's basically when I had a breakdown. Like it all just started to go a bit wrong from there because I hadn't talked about it while it was happening. I didn't, yeah, yeah, I didn't. And then I just like went back to work because I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm all right now. So I just went back to work, did a show and then... I noticed something was wrong and then that went on for about two years because, I, like I say in the song, I didn't want to tell anyone because I was embarrassed because I was yeah. like, well, you haven't got, there's nothing wrong with you anymore. Why are you being a dickhead, you know? So I just kept it all buried and buried and then eventually, two years later, I was like, oh, shit, I think I need to talk about this now. And did you go and did you seek some help? Yeah, so I rang the hospital that I was under, Guy's Hospital in London Bridge, who are amazing. And straight away, I was like, um, I think so I was in Tesco. Literally, I was in Tesco's and I, I literally just dropped all my shopping. And it was like one of the lowest points of my life. I was like, something is fucking wrong. So I just rang them and they were like, come in straight away. They were like, this is so normal. It happens, especially in younger patients, because we just rush back to work and we, you know, rush back to life and everything and don't deal with it at the time so it was like a sort of post-traumatic thing yeah and my brain had remembered all the things but it sort of buried it 
So I just needed to kind of open up about it. And then within two months, I think, of therapy, talking with a nurse and stuff, I was like, at first I was like, oh, this isn't going to work. This is stupid. I felt really stupid and like, I didn't want to talk yeah. about it. I suppose you I was feel like, vulnerable oh, as yeah. well in that position. And also because it happened so long ago, I was like, I, sh- I don't deserve help now. Like, this is so silly. I feel like I'm wasting people's time and stuff. But then eventually something just clicked. I don't know. I can't remember the day or the moment, but something just clicked and I woke up and I was like myself again. So did, did you feel when you were going through it, did you feel completely unlike yourself? Yeah, I, I don't even remember who that person was now, like two, three years ago. I was just a completely different person, just living on the edge. And everything was so dramatic in my head because I was just convinced I was going to get ill every single day again. Yeah. And because and I think the lead up to my diagnosis was so long um, I, and I knew something was wrong, but it was like, it wasn't that no one believed me, but there was nothing to say it was a real thing. So I, I'd, I'd taken that with me. So I was like, every time then I got a cold or whatever, I was like, it's obviously, it's you know, back. it's come yeah. back and switch right. So I was literally living in this state of like pure fear for like two, three years. Um, and that's what I just needed to talk about. And then when I did, I was like, oh, I feel, oh, it just, it was like a weight lifted. And then, and then I decided to just sort of be honest about it from then on because why not like why hide that well you know there shouldn't be any stigma attached to it because you know your physical health is just as important as your mental health yeah and did you talk to your parents about it at the time I did I told them um I'd seeked help and stuff and I think they they got a bit upset at first because they were sort of like but we want to help you, you know, and it's it's just a different kind of help, isn't it? It's, Sometimes, it's, you know, the it's a parents help. with the best one in the world yeah. think that they can, you know, put a Band-Aid on everything mm. and, and solve everything because that's their role in life. Yeah, 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 and they want to make it better. Of course they do, but that kind it's of help they just can't give. Something different, yeah, <clears throat> you need to chat to someone who who knows what exactly what it is you're going through and stuff and and make you logically think about things rather than emotionally Mm. it's more about sort of knowing techniques to make it easier to live with and everything like that and it's something that'll probably never leave me I'm sure I'll always have this kind of panic thing with it's so embedded in me now but I know ways now to deal with it and And I and I can feel it come in and if you've got the skills and the tools yeah. to talk yourself down exactly. from the ledge when it's coming. You, you're in control yeah. with her and that it it's not in control. It's of not me. in control. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I do. I have moments every day where I'm like, Ooh! but then I know what it is now. Whereas before, it used to just like take over me. Mm. And I think opening up about things that have happened to me has made it ten times nicer because I don't need to lie about stuff anymore, and people know the real me and... and Nor I, should you. I, I mean, I know think, it's so yeah. easy easy for me to say, well, you shouldn't have to. But when you're feeling like that, you do feel yeah. tight and vulnerable and slightly broken inside, but you can't yeah. discuss it, can Especially you? Especially like, as an actor as well, as a freelancer and stuff, you know, you're always trying to get work and you don't want anyone to think less of you or think like you can't do a job. or So that was a whole other level of like, why I didn't want to let anyone know because I was like, I don't want anyone to not hire me or like, I've worked, I was working about 15 years, you know, up to this kind of career. And then I was like, oh, God, no, people are going to think crap of me now and they're not going to hire me. And so that was a massive weight. Um, But it turns out that that's not the case at all. And people have been so supportive. And And so many people go through high anxiety all the time. Hopefully the more people that do open up and talk about it, the nicer it will be and, and we won't have this and it will just be more out in the open. Do you know what I mean? I think it is getting better though. I think it I is do, definitely. Because I, I, you know, I do talk to so many people yeah. on here 
and it's amazing how it comes up. Yeah. And whether they are actors, they might be a musician or a poet or whatever. It's just because it's part of the human condition. Yeah, and yeah, it's something yeah. we can all relate to yeah. if, if we're really honest. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Well, I think we need to go back to Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> back to Northfield. Tell me about growing up there. So I lived in the same house for 24 years. I was born in a little council house in a place called Northfield, which is in between sort of Cadbury World and the Rover, Land Rover. Yeah. Back in the day, we're obviously booming, whereas now they're sort of not, they don't really exist anymore. Mm. They've both been sold on and the industry side of it was kind of a big thing when I was growing up, but that's kind of sadly gone now but yeah all my so all the women in my family worked at Cadbury's Did all they? the blokes worked at the Rover my dad worked in a factory down the road um yeah I've got a big brother big family my dad's got four sisters and we all lived it was a bit like Coronation Street we all lived on the same road <laughs> everyone knows everyone's business um it's quite a small community um where I'm from Northfield sort of lay away is quite a small yeah there's only like two or three schools so everyone sort of knows everyone a bit um but it was city living you know and I I got I was very independent from quite a young age I had a, a job when I was I think I was 12 I got a job down the, the British Legion where my mum and dad went every Saturday as a washer-upper. Did you? <laughs> and I was there, I got my £10 every week. I thought it was amazing. And, um, and yeah, I was, I was like, I was never scared to, like, get on a bus or go, I think, being from, like, a city, it would never, you know, I, I didn't learn to drive even. I was just very, like, off and sightseeing and going everywhere. My first trip to London, I think I was about 16, I just jumped on a megabus thing and just came down. Just by yourself? yeah. And just, I was never frightened, which is quite ironic that I ended up getting a, a frightened disorder because yeah. I was completely obvious, uh, opposite even growing up. I was so fearless. And I think that's why I was so heartbroken when I developed this fear because I never, ever had it. And I was always just like, yeah, fuck it, I'll just do anything. And anything came in, jobs-wise or anything. I was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, so when I suddenly developed this fear thing, I was like, I have to get rid of that because... It's not part no, of the real the old you, me really, is yeah. just like so up for anything and like you know just wanted to just do things with my life and and nothing ever scared me so yeah went to school were you like school. were you like that at school yeah I was very much like just got involved with everything got involved I was I was I was picked on quite a lot at school so I got involved in all the the drama and the activities and stuff to kind of keep my mind um why, why were you bullied just general, general, just kids being stuff, nasty. Yeah, weight stuff. I was a bit different. I was a bit quirky, I suppose. Um, I had, you know, braces and all that. Like, you know, it was just an easy target. And I used to play the oboe. So, Did like, you? I think I was this little like, sort of like podgy girl with, you know, braces and mega acne, just walking around with a little like black case with an oboe in it. I was just like, I was perfect target, I suppose, at the time. And so you've always been but, quite musical, then. Yeah, I, I, I. I guess so, yeah. I mean, I wasn't very good at it, but I'd always had an interest in it. And then I found the drama side of it was more suited to me. I felt less scared of of um, trying to get things right. Cause musically, you have to be sort of very perfect, which mm. I'm just not as a person. So I found the drama aspect more freeing and like, um, yeah, did GCSE drama. And then weirdly, I left school and there was no sort of... Um, not encouragement, but there was no courses back then by me that did that carried on doing drama. Yeah, it was like my school was a sports school, and um, uh, you either did sports or got a trade. 
and I was no good at fucking sport. So I was like, all right, then I'll go get a trade. So I got a job um, in my cousin's hairdressers. She's a hairdresser. Right. When I was 16, 17. And I start, I'm literally a genuine beauty school dropout. <laughs> like Greece. I, I joined beauty school. Did uh, you? Yeah, because I thought that's what I should do. You know, I, I sort of liked it and... And um, I didn't think you could do drama as a job. It was nothing that anyone in my family had ever done. So there was no sort of guidance or anything from that. And the teachers were just like, you know, you just need to get a job. So I, yeah. I started training as a hairdresser in a beauty show. I was fucking terrible at it. And um, <laughs> I bought all the kit and that. And I went to college for about two months. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is not me at all. Like, I just, I'm terrible at it. I didn't enjoy it. And then, weirdly, I, I so I dropped out. I got a job um, at a shop in Birmingham because mm. I thought I'll just get a job and um, started doing, I don't think they even do it anymore. It was like MVQ retail something. I know what you mean, yeah. I started doing an MVQ in retail when I was, this must be about 17. And um, so I used to earn my, earn my, my money and I did a bit of, you know, studies on the side. Again, didn't know what I was fucking training for. No. I just did it because, because it was a job. Because you were being job. told yeah. because you had to get a trade. So I was just doing it. And then I met this girl and she was like um, really into music and stuff. And she was like, oh, I'm, I'm just doing this till June. And then I'm going to college in September at this place called Samwell College. Um, Where near, was that? It was more sort of like um, near Black the Black Country, Wolverhampton Way. So right. a bit out of Birmingham. Yeah. Um, but she said this amazing place and it does like drama, singing, music, everything. It's all free. It's that a three year free. course. She was like, you just have to audition. And I was like, what is this place that you speak <laughs> of? Like, I never land. even heard of it. So I said to my mum and dad again, I was like, I think I want to give something else up, you know, because I'd already give up all the bloody beauty stuff. So they were like, right, come on, let's get in the car on the Saturday. They had an open day. So we drove over and it was this little college and it had a theatre and every, like I say, everything was funded. I don't know how back then, but it was, it was a course. Oh, it wasn't like a BTEC, but whatever it was before a BTEC. Yeah. And um, it was three years, and there was all these amazing teachers there. And I just started that and found this like thing that I suddenly was like, I think this is what I meant to do. And they were so helpful. And then from there, they were like, and now you can go to drama school, and we'll help you apply. And so I was a bit late to the party. I eventually got into drama school when I was twenty-one. Um, Which but, is so funny that some people think that that's you're going there late. Yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah, I was yeah, always yeah. told when I was growing up that that's that's a perfect age. That yeah, I think start. I think it was though because yeah. like, I'd well, been it's a through so time much. For you, wasn't it? Perfect age. Yeah, I'd been through so much, and I finally knew that's what I wanted to do. So I made the most of it, mm. and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really there for like social sides of stuff. Even though I had an amazing time, I was like, oh no, this is genuinely what I think I can train to do now, and. And I'd really worked hard to get there. And, yeah, so I, I went to drama school in Birmingham as well because it was just financially better. It was a funded drama school and I lived at home. So, and I worked at the Birmingham Hippodrome Theatre um, in the evenings. And, yeah, so that was my whole life for six six years. Wow. Training at college and then drama school. And it's like, you know, so many people get themselves into so much debt yeah. by, you know... The expense of auditioning for drama school, moving to London. It's just crazy. And, it, and then they, they walk out after three years. Yeah. And, you know, they've got so much yeah, debt. Yeah, it's just, especially now, my God, it's, I would never have been able to do it now. I was lucky back so then. So many yeah, people can't, yeah. can they? You know, I hear it week in, week out. That yeah. I can't, it couldn't even contemplate it's doing it. It's just so sad. Like, everything was pretty much funded or half-funded back when I was doing it. 
Um, but is, even is it still kind of like that now? I think what do you know? it's like uni fees now. A lot of them are uni fees, but even the uni fees are like sky high now. Yeah. Like my uni fees, I paid uni fees, but they were like nothing really. They were affordable. Um, but now it's like Skyrocket. 20, 30 grand a debt just on fees, yeah. university fees, which is just like, who can afford that? You know, or you're just going to be so much in debt. You you know, people are still going to want to apply and, and, you know, go because that's what you want to do. But it's just such a shame that you then leave with this massive thing over your head. And then you have to live in London. And then it's just like, <laughs> it's like, it's just crazy. Well, it just goes to show you don't have to do that. You don't have to no. go to London, you know? Yeah, I, I sort of, my mum and dad were very, like, uh, um, on that kind of, um, you know, road. They were like, you don't need to go to London. You don't need to do this and this. But I was a bit away with the fairies at the time. I was like, no, I do, because that's where everyone goes and that's what the best places are. But really, my training was amazing. We had teachers up from London all the time. So where was it? Birmingham School of Acting. Right. It used to be called Birmingham School of Speech and Drama, and now it's Birmingham School of Acting. And it's in the CD, whatever it's called, of drama schools, whatever. There's like 22. Right. And it was basically exactly the same course, the same training, just in Birmingham. And, yeah, and then we had our showcase in London at the end of it at the Soho Theatre. Yeah. Which is was brilliant. And we had this, like, it was a really good showcase, actually. They, they did this thing called a window box, which sounds terrifying, but it was actually great. And everyone got, I think it was like 90 seconds to do, and you just literally came on. It was like a cattle market. You just right. came on. But you could write your own, I wrote my own stuff. I wrote a sort of speech into a song. Um, and then, so you did your little sort of one and a half minutes of whatever you felt really was good for you and showed you. And then they split off into rooms and agents could then follow you to do scenes. So, like, they could follow your number or whatever. And then you'd go into another room at the Soho and do a contemporary scene or a classical scene or whatever. But it just sort of, like, it sound, at the, I suppose it does sound a bit scary, like, oh, you've only got a minute and a half. But I thought that was good because it was like... This is me. This is my voice. This Bang. is what I look like. This is what I sound like. And then you just sort of just did it. And then you could do scenes and stuff as well. I thought it was a really good setup. I don't know if they still do it now, but Sounds fucking terrifying it was to me. it was terrifying. <laughs> but I suppose I was younger and sort of naive at the time, so yeah. I was just like, "Oh, this is great!" But yeah, but you, I did. You were I just still like that, still yeah, that positive, Amy. I can I do did. anything. Yeah, I but, just sort of so was nothing like, like that broke down for you over those three years. You were no, still really I was, positive. I was on. I was on a good sort. Of, I was in a good headspace, and I was like, "Right, this is my ninety seconds." So I wrote a speech into a song. So I thought I'll try and get everything into them. <laughs> <laughs> with tap shoes like <laughs> all in one go and um and yeah and that was it and then luckily got an agent and started to sort of work when um, did the from then when did the writing come into it quite recently um it's something i wanted to do after after all the cancer stuff happened i was i worked on a a tv script uh, with a friend of mine but again I, it just it never felt the right timing and I wasn't quite ready to write about it when I did so it, it wasn't it wasn't really from the heart it was all sort of like just me writing about stuff but it wasn't I, I was I was a bit sort of scared to get a bit guttural with it because yeah. I wasn't quite there yet so I put it down and I left it and it kind of put me off writing and so I put writing down for like a year. My agents kept ringing me going, what are you working on? What are you working on? I was like, oh, I'm just getting there, you know. And then it was randomly came off. I came off all social media last year just to help with my 
anxiety and mental health stuff. It was just, it was making me a bit like, ugh. Yeah, Just course. seeing other people's lives all the time and you get comparing. And I just thought, I'm going to have a little bit of a break. And then weirdly, I just joined Twitter again last year. Um, and it's ironic, again, that I've sort of put something online after coming off it for so long. And again, it's sort of saved me in a way. Like, it's become this, like, nice haven and... And and it's fa- I found a, an avenue that I feel like this is what I was meant to do. This is how I'm meant to be a writer through, through fucking your own ukulele per- and through through, through, through true experience. Yeah. But then you know that all comes from the heart. Like yeah. So, so it can't it can't not be right it's for just you. Me in my bedroom, just like writing down. I, I mean, I don't even write. I physically don't write stuff down. So what do I, you do? I just literally sit in my room and just say stuff out loud. And my agents were laughing because I'm, I'm writing a show now. Right. Based on all of this. What, um, like a one-woman show? Yeah, so I'm making a real show now. It's such a brilliant idea. Um, I hope people can't oh, imagine it's like no one calls. <laughs> I tell you what, let me know. I'll plug away on air Please for you. Please come. Don't worry. Oh, God, it's just me and my mum and dad. Like, like hey. <laughs> But yeah, and I said to my agents, I was like, because I, again, I never set out to do this to do that. This was just something that I did. It was only how the the sort of you know the lovely feedback and stuff that it's grown into a show. But I said to my agents, I was like, I can't sit down at a laptop or a, a thing and just write stuff. So they were like, Why don't you just put your camera on a tripod in your living room for three hours and just fuck around in your living room? And that's basically what I've done. I've and just, then you just literally, edit, edit it yeah, together. and I've just literally because the way my mind works, it's quite sporadic anyway, and I do just think of things and I'll just say them out loud and then just mess around and I've got like little bits of percussion and shaky eggs and stuff and like just come up with these ideas and obviously 90% of it is awful it's just me and my pyjamas being an absolute dickhead (laughs) but like a small percentage I'm like oh my god there's something in that so then I'll go and explore it so that's basically how I've written the show it's just me doing things in my house and having mad ideas and filming myself doing them and then learning from it rather than actually sitting down writing at a laptop. So yeah. I find that that puts a block. I, I've never learned very well via like academically. Mm. I learn, I don't know what the word is, kinesthetically through movement. Mm. So I, I, I learned stuff. It's like I learned that just through ear and movement, the ukulele. I never learned it from like a teacher or anything or like properly books or anything. But yeah, so I just literally feel myself with my housemates fucking die because they just come out and see me and like just like walking around with a fucking maraca talking about <laughs> mental health and, you know, exercise or something. And uh, yeah, and that's how that's how I'm writing it. And everybody's got their own different way and yeah. their own techniques, aren't they? It's, yeah. It seems to be working for you. I hope so, yeah, I hope so. And and like you say, that's when it comes from a real place then, rather mm. than me trying to be a writer um, and pretending that that's what I'm, I do. I, d- I don't. I'm not very good at doing that. But it's got to be authentic yeah. to you and your process and also that you're healing as well. Because mm. obviously these songs exactly. have really helped oh, yeah, you as definitely. a person. And also like physically, especially again, I say as an actor, like... Or, uh, my, my my body was different afterwards and like I I was suddenly living in this different body and if I if I just sort of um write things using my body and using this new body and stuff it just becomes it is part of me rather than writing something about it that then I I then do I just sort of write it using my physicality and and stuff and then yeah it becomes like uh, I've 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 gr- got this kind of self acceptance back yeah. that I'd lost a bit and confidence yeah exactly confidence definitely yeah do you think because it's happened very organically these songs through the sort of healing process mm. and now you know you're putting it all together yeah do you think it's important 
to create your own content or do you think because it's happened organically you've just sort of left it in the lap of the gods um yeah I think it's 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 weird because someone said to me they were like did you did you know how to do how to get it seen by millions of people or whatever I was like no way I literally just put it on I, I didn't even put a hashtag I don't even know how to do that. Do you know what I mean? I literally just put on a fucking song with an emoji and I never thought it would spread that far. And and again, I only... And people say like, oh, you know, when's the next song? When's it coming out? Blah, blah, blah. But I only ever want to put stuff on that is that is stuff that I'm really passionate about and really happy with. Because I've tried to write little bits the last couple of weeks and stuff and it's just not... It's not... Not that it's not good enough, but it's not what I want, really want to write about. Yeah. So I'm... I don't want to just put random songs on just for just to keep putting videos on. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And like yeah. with the show as well, I only want it to be really good and I will only do it if it's really good and it's really from my soul and really what I want to talk about. And truthful. And truthful, because that's the whole point of what I'm doing. But that's, how, doing. It's, that's yeah, yeah, how it yeah. started. It started yeah. out as a... As your kind just of personal therapy, honest, really. Kind of, yeah, just being totally honest. And, and I want to create a show that that hopefully shows that. And it is going to be so honest and so raw and only including material, like I say, that I've been through or that I know what I'm talking about rather than just like someone's like, oh, well, this is a big issue at the moment. It's like, well, that's not for me. Do you know what I mean? I just, I want to talk about my stuff. Yeah, because then it just becomes, becomes naff and yeah. then you're just sort of playing to what yeah. people's wants and yeah. needs where we should be looking at where it came yeah, from through the truthful, you. Yeah, and, and a few people asked me to do a few gigs and stuff recently and I've sort of said no because... I don't feel uh, ready. And also, I like I say, I want to make sure it's all the right material. And that's why I want to spend six months making it a proper show and a, yeah. a proper good show. And so, yeah, I'm going to work with a director properly, a dramaturg, do it all properly. And, and I will have, like, the creative... I want to have, like, not creative r- rights, but, like, I want it to be what I want it to be. Do you know what I mean? Rather than just rushing something out. But that's the beauty of creating your own stuff yeah. and writing your own stuff. You have complete control. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it as well. Uh, it always seemed like something that would be really terrifying, but actually it's been so much fun to do. And I've learned so much about myself, weirdly doing it. And In what way? Just that, again, I've, I, I can do stuff. I always go, I can't do it, I can't do it. And I've just done it. Do you know what I mean? I've just fucking done it. And I've talked about things that I never thought I'd talk about. And like, and it's just been so lovely because now if I go to an audition or on a date or whatever, I've got no secrets. Not not see, like not that people don't know everything about me, but all the kind of stuff that I've been holding in that I don't think is shameful or you should be embarrassed about is now sort of out there. So I've just got this like weight off my shoulders. It well, feels you know, great. People who watch that will be empowered by it because, oh, I'm feeling like that oh, too. Yeah. Which is why it's been so incredible. It's bon- it is bonkers that that people have like related to it so much because I suppose because it did come from just me in my room just being a bit of a knobhead, you know. Um, I'm quite surprised that people have, have liked it so much. But it's been overwhelming. Yeah, definitely. I think... Again, with the whole Twitter thing, like my phone actually like broke, like it stopped working because there was all these notifications coming through and stuff and I didn't really know what was happening. It was literally like, <laughs> it was like <laughs> all my friends joking, you know, saying it's gone viral and stuff. But it's just like, I don't, I can't quite believe that people have watched it that much. And like, it just seems, it is really overwhelming and quite like, I feel like, oh God, you know. But you know, you're talking about the human condition. Yeah. And that's what everybody can relate to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, 
she, I, you know, when I was watching it, I was thinking of some young girl who was going through sort of struggles that you were, right? And I was thinking, what if that gets her to talk to somebody yeah, else? Yeah, 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 yeah. And that releases her yeah. from, like, her prison. Yeah, know? yeah, 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 yeah. You just don't know how far and wide it's going to spread, do you? Exactly. It's been mental. And I'm, my mum jokes because she's like, in <laughs> the first couple of videos, she's like, oh, we could have combed your hair. Because it's literally like, I have got, like, not a scrub of makeup on, like, a hair scrunchie. Um, but it's, like, almost that that's what's made it what it is because I literally didn't care. I didn't think, I don't really do, like, Instagram. Like, that's not my world. I don't really care what people think of me in that way. And I, I am not like literally, you had a plan, no, I'm just literally all out there. This is it. This is me. This is the way I look. And that's again, what I want the show to kind of be as well. I don't want to become like something else. I want it to just be like, you can be yourself and, and like, I, I want to sort of cut through the kind of, even though it's social media that has, has made these videos work. I feel like, uh, we need a reality back again with a lot of social media stuff. It's getting so out of hand and so fake and so filtered and so everything. Yeah. And maybe it's nice to just have a bit of reality back that we all just see each other the way we actually look rather than like trying to hide behind filtering and changing our noses and faces on pictures and stuff. Why can't we just have our face? Do you know what I mean? It's quite, Yeah. I want to just be that person that is just like, this is it. This is me. These are all my lumps and bumps. This is the way my face looks. This is the way that I talk about things. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> Do you know because what I mean? Because we're all like that. Yeah. At the yeah, end of the yeah. Day. It will be more sort of that in terms of like, and the being like a show show. That's yeah. a, that's a, that's a thing. It will just literally be me. Really, but it's, but it's, you know, as I kept going back to it, but it started out yeah, as this raw that, thing that you yeah. didn't have a plan. So growing that into a show yeah. should have the same feeling. Yeah, yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. And if it's not, then I probably won't do it. I want to make sure it is that, um, and that I'm fully sort of happy with the way it is and stuff first. Um, Are you so. quite a perfectionist in general um, with other things? Yeah, I think I've always been very. Um, uh, my friends call me anal Amy. <laughs> Not that kind of anal. <laughs> um, but yeah, I nearly wrote a song about that once actually. <laughs> Could be misconstrued. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So I am very sort of like, I, I, I quite like things, you know, in, in my room's very neat and like stuff like that. But I think I'm a perfectionist just because I really fucking care. Like yeah. I really want, like I'm so passionate about this now and I just want it to be the best it can be. Um, and yeah, I've got like a vision in my head of how I like things and, and stuff. Yeah. So I guess, I guess I am perfectionist, I suppose. Yeah. But, but as like, you say, because it's I because care. you care. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm really passionate about I think that, that really, I mean, I know this is the first time we've met, but watching your videos, I think you, I can really tell, yeah. you know, it's because it's not fake. Yeah. 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 Hopefully. Yeah. No, it definitely yeah. comes across. Yeah. And it's funny about, we're talking about social media because it can be a, a nasty mm, old, yeah. toxic, horrible place. Scary, yeah. But I suppose if you use it in the right way, yeah, 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 then you can you can not filter, but you can filter out all those other things yeah. and just focus on the kind of decent yeah. stuff. I did a job with some uh, younger girls um, last year, and they were sort of on Instagram and, and that throughout the day. And they, one of them said to me. Oh, if it doesn't get so many likes within the first ten minutes, I'll take I'll take the post down, and oh, no, because they're no. so worried about what how they're being perceived, and it just absolutely terrified me. And I was like, oh gosh, you know, it's already enough 
stress growing up and anything anyway. In so life. that, yeah. you know, we never had that extra pressure. No. So, yeah, that's why I think it's even more important for people to just be who they fucking are now. And, and we need to go past that because it will only go so far. And I'm hoping that sort of real reality comes back through again. Well, it's got to, hasn't it? I hope so. It, it's can only, it get any yeah, how more? much can you fucking filter your face? Do you know what I mean? Well, I saw, so, I saw somebody on Twitter the other day and I had to double take because I went, it doesn't look anything like, like it didn't look anything like it's this scary, person. yeah. And it's like, as you say, if I don't get this many likes, yeah. who, who cares? I mean, yeah, that's yeah, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. that is not good for your health yeah, yeah, yeah. at all. But I, I went down that road like a couple of years ago when I was like peak, in what way? peak anxiety. Like I was on Instagram and, and I did get sort of into the, into the world of like looking at other people's lives and going, well, mine, I don't eat that for breakfast. So maybe I'm rubbish at life, you know, and you do, you sort of get into that mode and then like, oh God, is that picture, does that picture make me look happy? Do I look good in that picture? And then that's when I was like, ah, I need to get off this, like this is not important. I need to get, and that's when I just deleted it all um, because I was doing it for the wrong reasons rather than just being like, I had a lovely day today. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It was like, it was so, it was so kind of like, um, uh, calculated when you, when you post something, I was mm. like, Oh no, that, I don't want to live like that. But posting things, uh, hoping that it will get some sort of reaction. Yeah, I know it's, it's scary. But you can t- you can tell those people. I can sn- sniff them out just mm. by reading something. And yeah, go, that you've just done that for your own good. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's not for anybody else. But you can really tell that with your songs because there is no fakery. About yeah, yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. What changed when you came back on? Did you th- did you feel I'm going to go back on Twitter for this reason or because I, I know how to use it now? Yeah, literally, I was just like I sort of missed having a bit of a news feed because I'd missed out on a lot of stuff. Yeah, and um, I quite liked just seeing it daily, just to see like bits of like what was going on in the world, and you know, you follow certain theatre news and film news and everything. So it was nice to have that, and I sort of missed it, and um, so I just really went back on for that, and then I just. Um, I was in my mum and dad's house at Christmas or just before Christmas and um, I just posted a silly video of like um, me, uh, there's a song called This Christmas which is like mm. a, a piss take thing on YouTube and it came on and I was like, oh God, I remember this from years ago and I just sort of did like a little lip sync thing to it and I just put it online and I was literally just in my mum and dad's kitchen in my pyjamas and it ne- I never crossed my mind, like, what do I look like? What do I sound like? What am I doing? Like, where am I? Like, I just literally just put it online. And I f- it just felt like just like really nice and normal. And like, I'd sort of, yeah, it was just, it was nice to just post something for a laugh. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then that's kind of how I just started to get back on it slowly then. Just like literally again, like just posting things just for a laugh. Not with any sort of... um thinking, oh, this will get, this will be shared, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anything like that. It just sort of happened. It's not healthy to think no. like that. It really isn't. No. And it, may, it does make me sad to think a lot of the younger generation, I sound like a right old man, <laughs> don't I? But the younger ones go, if this doesn't get yeah. so many likes, I'm going to take it off. I know, it's sad. It is sad. But hopefully we'll we'll get through that and they'll come out the other side, hopefully. But like you say, you know, get back to a bit of reality. And just, if we do open up and be honest about all our faults and stuff, I just think it would just make everything a bit easier because we've been so sort of filtered as a society, I think, trying to be terrified of letting people know what's really going on. And I just think if we can all just be honest and open up and say, oh, I'm having a bit of a shit day today, it will just 
make the world a bit easier. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And we'll stop being so worried about what people think about us. Because no one's perfect. Everyone's got their faults. Absolutely. Um, I'm definitely not. And, and it, it feels nice to be able to be honest about that and just be like, yeah, today was really shit, but I feel better, to, you know, I feel better tomorrow, whatever. It's just, it's quite a nice liberating feeling. And, and it stops the, um, it stops, it just stops the worry. It's like, why, why are we worried so much? Just if we're all just, everyone's got their own little battles. I'm sure what you think in your head, if someone's thinking of you, they're probably thinking the same about them, thinking, oh God, she's looking at me thinking that. And it's just like, <laughs> I just can't wait till we just all sort of, that's sort of let go a bit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Are you good at, now you've come through everything, are you good at dealing with the darker times? If they sort of really it's ugly hurt. Yeah, again, it's like a, I know it's coming, I, I can, I can, uh, not appreciate it but I I understand it I know um what it is now whereas before I just didn't know what it was and whereas now I know what it is and if I need a day or a night by myself I'm just very honest about that and I know I need to just go and be in a room for four or five hours just by myself and and feel a bit down or whatever or, or just allow it to happen to me to come through I don't the fight other side. it yeah, yeah I don't fight it now same with anxiety as well I'm very honest if I'm I'm having a moment you know whereas before I just used to like bury it and and not be honest about it whereas now I'm just like oh you know I'm having I'm having a moment but I know how to deal with it and it you know it can take a few days sometimes it does not just doesn't go away no. but I know how to sort of the tricks now to kind of deal with it and I just I guess live with it like um and and use certain things to help me uh, get through it rather than pretend it's not there. Yeah. Do you know, whereas before yeah. I think I used to pretend it wasn't happening and that made it worse. Whereas now it's like if it does happen, I just allow it, I accept it and I use techniques to kind of let it do its course sort of thing. And then I, and then I come out, hopefully touch wood at the other side. <laughs> touch that little wood. Um, yeah, so yeah. Do you think, per- <coughs> excuse me, Personally, coming through the cancer and going through all the anxiety, has it made you see things in a different way? Yeah, I think so. I think I used to be worried about lots of little things. Like what? Um, like, oh, I don't know, just things like that just like don't matter anymore. Yeah, yeah, things that just don't matter anymore. Like, oh, God, you know, is is everyone wearing navy jeans at the moment? Like, or, you know, just stupid little things that were so big at, in my head at the time. Whereas now I'm just like, I have don't even think about things like that anymore. I think about actual real, you know, real problems. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, I think it's made me hopefully um, a, a more sort of grounded person as well. I feel like because I've seen shit's happened and, and stuff, you just you just become more experienced in life and stuff, don't you? And um, yeah, think, I, I let less things worry me now. And I'm much more sort of like, not carefree, but I'm finding that old me again, being a bit fearless, you know. And also that worry can snowball if you you haven't got the tools. Yeah. And it just gets out of control. Yeah. Amy? Yeah. It's so lovely talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. Would you do me a (laughs) favour? Would you do me another song? I'll try. I'll see see if I can remember the words to this one. I'll probably absolutely fuck it up because I haven't sung it for ages. But it's a song about online dating. Lovely. Um, And it's about um, some of my mates were like, when I came out of the other side of like 
being like, oh, they were like, oh, you know, you should try and get yourself out there and get dating again. And I was like, great. <laughs> so this is about that. <laughs> but yeah, I'll probably fuck it up, but we'll, you know, we'll just keep going. <laughs> a two, three, four. A year ago today, with some persuasion, I joined some online dating apps. Here's a little song about my experience, because it was actually really great. Yeah. Said no one ever. Story number one, I met a guy on Tinder and he seemed really nice and lived just down the road. I said, hello, my name's Amy, do you like 80s films? He's like, yeah, we'll watch the Goonies while I'll fuck you from behind. The joy of online dating in London, it just gets better every day. People just say really weird stuff and it's loud. I'm like, what are you talking about? That's absolutely not going to happen, I don't even know you yet. Fucking weirdo. Story number two, I met a guy on Bumble and he seemed really normal and we had loads of chat. He sent me some pictures and then one day he sent me a picture and there was a girl in the background. I'm like, oh, who's that? And he was like, oh, it's my wife. Great. The joy of online dating in London, it just gets better every day. People just say really weird stuff and it's loud and I'm like, mm, you got a wife? And he's like, oh, it's just my wife. And I'm like, you've got a wife. Shoot me in the face. Story number three, I met a guy on Blender and he said he was looking for the real deal. I said, oh, I'm looking for the real deal too. Do you want any of the pictures? And he's like, forget the pictures, sit on my face. Story number four, it was plenty of fish and we kept it casual and went to the pub. I ordered the burger, he ordered the stingray and I'm like, stingray, hang on, that's 39 got to pay off towards this and I don't even like you. The joy of online dating in London, it just gets better every day. 20 quid gone on a fucking stingray, then he texts me and he's like, I don't think this is going to work. And I was like, you don't think this is going to work? You ordered stingray, Tinder, Blender, Bumble, Match.com. Plenty of fish and guardian soulmates, Grinder, Chappie, Hinge and Zeus. Christians mingle and coffee meets bagel. Real sights. Then the magical day came when I met a really nice one. We had loads of dates and I thought he was going to ask me to be his girlfriend. And then he ghosted me to fuck. And I've literally never heard from him again. It was literally like we never existed. True story. Where did he go? Nobody knows. Where did he go? Literally nobody knows. He's done the fade out, the classic fade out. He faded you out, faded you out. Oh, the joy of online dating in London. I'd rather die alone single. Amy, Amy. <laughs> thank you. I'm just going to say, I think you're fucking brilliant. Oh, thanks, and love. I'm thank so you pleased you came on. Thank it's you for really having me. Really lovely really talking appreciate to you. it. Did you enjoy it? Loved it. Thank you. Thank you. And another episode is done. What an absolute tonic Amy Booth Steele is. Um... You know, you're always gambling when people come on. And you don't, I saw her videos and I knew that she was sort of sparky and funny and real and she was talking about things in her life and that she was processing and she was getting it out in the form of comedy and songs. So I was hoping that she was going to be um, as honest as she is with her songs in real life. And it turns out, as you've just heard, she is. So a massive, massive thank you to Amy for coming on and I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did... You can follow us. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, you can send us messages. You can send us an email. It's twoshotpod at gmail.com. Also, now, badges. I know what you're thinking. Craig, where's my badge? Don't worry. We've got a massive list to get through. And what I'm doing is I'm starting to put them all in envelopes uh, on Friday, which is tomorrow. So... Look out for your postman next week, and he should be dropping you a lovely limited edition, beautifully classy two-shot pod badge. Wear it with pride. Thank you for your support. You know how much it means to us. Right, I'm going to get off. Until next week, I've been Craig Parkinson. He's been producer Griff, and this has been 
the Two Shot Podcast. Take it easy. The Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers. Cheers.